And we are looking forward to an exciting teaching, exciting time, lots of things that are very, very upbeat to talk about. And uh, we're just going to have a stirring, a stirring tonight, stirring the pot. Okay, hopefully you have your Bibles. If you do, turn with me in the book of Second Peter. Second Peter, and we will begin reading the 18th verse through the 21st verse. Second Peter 18 through 21. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Sometimes we hear the voice within us. Sometimes we hear the voice around about us speaking to other people. Sometimes individually, sometimes collectively. Sometimes we hear the voice speaking in signs and in wonders. Sometimes we hear the voice speaking in circumstances. The road that we are on. The life that we are experiencing. The good times, the bad times. They all have a voice. Sometimes... However, we hear directly from heaven. A place that is above all of those things I just described. Above the road of dust. Above the toil. The sweat. The exertion of strength. The tears. The straining. Above earthly experiences. Above collective people or individual people and their sayings and their contributions of thought. Sometimes we hear from heaven and it is a direct connection to a spirit of God that is of much higher syntonic syntonic fire. The Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit. It also speaks about the Holy Ghost. Now, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost, they are the same thing, except when we say the Holy Ghost, we are talking about a quantity of the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit reaches a certain quantity, then it can personify, appear as a dove, appear as a, as a person, uh, it can appear as various signs in nature, or signs in the sky, uh, because it has reached a certain quantity, and uh, therefore it, uh, we are allowed to be able to experience that. Now, the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, just that aspect alone has an abstract uh, understanding to it, uh, because if you can be filled with the Spirit, then it is specifically speaking of degrees of filling so that there are different levels that you may receive the Holy Spirit. Some people dwell in levels that are not very deep, not very full. And they say, oh yes, I have the Holy Spirit. But they aren't acknowledging, they aren't confessing that their experience with the Holy Spirit their degree of Holy Spirit 
It's just not voluminous. It's in a very low level uh, of, of experience. And so sometimes people need to work on developing a deeper relationship, a deeper indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it is not until you are filled with the Holy Spirit that then there can be those experiences of personification by the Holy Ghost. Because those two things go together. There, There is a ratio, there is a, a, a quantification um, that is all tied into this whole uh, this whole story of, of how these things work with the Spirit. Now, we're just getting started on the first verse. And that's all interesting. And it says, This voice came from heaven. Now, it had to be a divine voice for a person to be on earth or on a mountain even. And to be able to hear a voice that came from heaven. Now, perhaps one should not be thinking of heaven as a distance or a dimension. Perhaps if, if, if the scripture would have said, and we heard this heavenly voice, then we would have automatically accepted that the heavenly voice could have been happening right on earth. But it didn't say heavenly voice. It said this voice spoke to us from heaven, from heaven. And we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. That's the incredible thing. This awesomeness of being able to hear something that is in heaven. Hearing through the dimensions. Hearing upwards. Upwards to those incredible areas so dynamic of the Spirit and the power of the living God. Something happened here different than just an average day. Something happened here different than just an average description of hearing a voice and having an experience with God on an average day. This was not an average day. This was a super occasion. And it wasn't just one person, but the scripture says, we heard this voice. There were witnesses. There were people that could corroborate. Yes, I was there. I heard it too. There is something magnifying about that. There is something beautiful in that kind of accompaniment. It's like a duet on a piano. Or it's like an instrument playing solo. But there is a there is an orchestra. And all the different parts are being accompanied. You have the strings and you have the, the flutes, the clarinets. You have the, the bass viols. It's just makes something full and beautiful. Well, this was that kind of a day. We heard from heaven. Even though we were on earth in the mount. Now, 
This mount, of course, does have a physical name where Jesus took his disciples to the Mount of Transfiguration. And a lot of people would not have realized or thought of that particular mount being holy. And a person might speculate as to what made it holy. Was it because of the experiences that happened there that made it holy? Like when Moses was told by the Spirit of God, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. Before Moses came into that area, was it already holy? Or did it become a designated holy place for a destined meeting? We were with him. Who was that they were with? Well, they were with Jesus Christ, Yahweh, the Son of God, who in his higher side of self is our Father which art in heaven. And then this astounding next statement in verse 19, so powerful, so speaking of an elevation, a transflowing, a transition, an ascension, a transcendentalism. We have also. The word also is conjunctive. We will not lose our experience, it is being said, of hearing the voice. That is something that is beautiful and in addition to the next thing we are going to say. You know, recently we are teaching on these masterpiece transmissions. And if you have not had a chance to get on the latest blog about this roadmap to this language of God, to the titleship of that language of God, one of the longest blogs that we have written, then first chance you get, you do need to get on the manifest blogs. And you need to read that. And let those words sink deeply into your mind and into your spirit. Because we are on a journey. We are on a quest. We are seeking to unlock mysteries that have been sealed for eons and eons and generations of time. It is an exciting time. We are making a turn around as Tanuel in the Chronicles book of the Manifest, Seven Thunders Before Genesis, relays. We are turning around. We are turning around to a new view, a new day, a new sensation, a new attitude, a new believing empowerment that there is nothing that we have left, that we have not touched, that should hold us back from going forward to step into new horizons and to step on new ground 
and to also hear the voice of the language of God that the Bible says in the 19th chapter that there is no place in the universe that that voice, that sound, that line has not gone. And in Zephaniah, that it is the promise of that pure language which is going to do away with all stuttering and all hesitation and uncertainty and going to put the knowledge of the Lord so powerfully upon the earth that it will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And so we're not giving that up, the Scripture says, because it's magnificent what happened. It's magnificent to hear from heaven. It's magnificent to hear this voice, because there was an opening in that voice. It was revelatory. It was like the trumpet of Gabriel. It was like divine harps. It was like the sound of many living waters. It was absolutely delicious to the Spirit. And we were with Jesus in the Holy Mount when this happened. Now the resultant begins to show. The resultant begins to speak. As a result of hearing this voice and becoming imbued, becoming imbued with the energy of that experience. Now he writes in the 19th verse of Second Peter chapter 1, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now we need to think about abstracts a little bit. We've talked about the deep word of God, and we said there cannot be a deep word of God unless there is a a shallow word of God or, or a um, a word of God that is a medium level because depth means like digging down and and uh, so to dig down you go down from the surface and the deeper you dig down the deeper and further away from the surface you get and so if I was to say the deep word of God it is automatically implied that there is the ground level word of God and there are the various degrees of God in development and in, and in revelation going all the way down unto the, to that very deepest word that we are speaking about. Well, in that same sense, when we say there is a more sure word of prophecy. That means that there has to be prophecies that are not as sure. And that would seem to be scary. And yet, it's very important that you understand this is specifically an absolute Bible. 
and very, very important for you to understand that. There is a sure word of prophecy, and as sure as there is a sure word of prophecy, there are prophecies that are not as sure. Someone says, oh my, I just don't know if I can believe that. That's why you've got me to talk to you and to help you today. To open your mind, to unlock the blindness, to unlock the deafness, to put a super speaker on your tongue and loosen you and bring you into liberties that you have never, ever experienced or tasted before. Someone says, well, how can that be? How, how can there be an unsure word? Well, uh, there is a scripture in Corinthians, and I don't want you to lose your place in, in Peter here. Uh, but there is a place in Corinthians, and most of you should know it very well. I'll just read it uh, quite briefly here. In the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even also as I am known. So now we see that in verse 9 it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Do you mean that someone can prophesy and they're not prophesying the whole prophecy? That they're only prophesying something in fractals? That they're only prophesying something that is a part of the pre prediction? That is only a part of the revelation? That is only a part of the puzzle? That is only a part of the mystery? Absolutely. That is specifically what the Bible is saying. And I will show you other scriptures to verify that. We know in part and we prophesy in part. Be why? Because there's a glass darkly. Paul said there was a veil that was over the people of Israel's face during the reign of Moses. And that that veil that existed then was still existing in his time as he was writing these epistles and these books of the Bible that he wrote. And so, there has been, ladies and gentlemen, a condition that has prevailed for not just a couple years, but for generations upon generations upon generations upon generations of time, which has blinded the eyes of people to see the, the total uh, story, which has caused them to not be able to hear the total story, and has uh, quenched their sensitivity of feeling to where they cannot even feel by the Spirit what is the whole story, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help them God. So, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. What? You have to understand, and, and you have to really hear this message today, that when you are listening to people make prophecies, or exhortations through their preaching and lecturing and, and deliveries, that many of those people, at best, may only be delivering in part of the, in part what the truth is, in part what the facts are, 
impart what the revelation is, impart what the what the mystery is. Impart, ladies and gentlemen, when you go to a door to unlock it, part of the key will not open that door. It takes the fullness of the key to open the door. And it takes the fullness of the revelation and the knowledge of the revelation to open the seals. And so, back in the time of Paul, looking through a glass darkly, doesn't sound like fun. Doesn't sound like clarity. Doesn't sound like the eradicator of confusion. Doesn't sound like the initiator of super x-ray vision with God. Knowing in part, and only knowing in part, doesn't sound like fun either. And we're quoting from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. But it says, One day we shall know, even as we are known. That is an exciting, exciting verse. Let's go back to Second Peter and finish talking about, about that. So here we are in, um, I say Second Peter, I beg your pardon. It's actually First Peter. Um, no, I'm sorry. It's actually Second Peter chapter 1. So let's not get the books mixed up with the chapters. And that's what I did a little bit. But um, we're talking Second Peter, but we are talking chapter 1. And we are reading from uh, the um, 19th verse. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Now, let's examine that. First off, when we read that and it says we have a more sure word of prophecy, it's a definite insinuation that there are ex that there exists prophecy that is something less and maybe quite less than the sure word. So it can almost be an unsure word of prophecy because it's only in part and you don't know what the rest of it's about or what the rest of it would say if you had the rest of it. So you only know in part, so being that you only know in part and only have part, and it's only a fractal, very difficult to be very exclusive in knowledge. But then, even with this situation that is being mentioned here by Peter, it says we have a more sure. <laughs> That's not the same as saying we have the ultimate sure word of prophecy. We have reached it to the fullest extent. He did not say that. But what he did say, that it was important enough that everybody should heed it, and everybody should absolutely look at it seriously, that because of their experience from heaven, and their connection to this voice and this language of heaven, and this personal experience with Jesus Christ, that their prophecy was more sure than the average person out there on Main Street. But they weren't saying that it was the, the surest of the sure, that it was the fullest of the full, that it was the complete and final and finished uh, word. They weren't saying that. So where are we taking you today? We are taking you on a journey. 
we are taking you into an eye-opening adventure where we want you to see beyond the mortal, where we want you to see beyond the limits of yourself. And we want you to be cleansed from all of the backlog of old, worn-out, traditional ideas that belong to religious furnishings of the past, that are only partials and fractals, that do not have the full power of revelation, that do not have the ultimate sure word of God. We want to take you into that groove, which is where a grove of olive trees are just ready to give their olives full of oil. And the oil is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And that anointing of the Holy Ghost is the power to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And let's go on. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. You do well tonight to listen to this word in the most serious way that you've ever listened before in your life. You do well. And listen to it as it being a light that shines in a dark place. You may have blind spots in you that you are not even aware of. Blind spots in your mind, blind spots in your heart, blind spots in your thinking, blind spots in your reckoning. And God wants to heal you of those blind spots and to eradicate them for once and for all and to set you free and to set you at liberty and put your feet to dancing. It is the time. The light wants to shine in the dark place. And you know what happens when you turn a light on in a dark room. Darkness flees. And this is to be your habit. This is to be your goal. This is to be your faith. This is to be your belief. Until the day star dawn. And the day star arises in your hearts. Once the day star dawns and the day star arises in your hearts, you are going to have constant light that will be there every dark night, will be there every midnight, will be there every moment when there seems to be gloom and darkness and foreboding, will be there through the valley of depression, through sorrow, through sickness, will be there when death is standing, lurking about with this grayness and with this forebodingness. Now in verse 20, Peter wants to set anyone straight that will get the wrong idea. Knowing this first, of all these things that he has said, he wants to put this in a categorical order with a number one the number one premise that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Private interpretation, what does that mean? Does that mean that it can't be of an individual? No, that is not what he's talking about. There is lots of scripture to show that's not true. Well, what does it mean? Private interpretation. Well, this means when people take a scripture and they start 
adjusting it, modifying it to fit their personal needs, to fit their personal beliefs because their personal beliefs satisfy their cravings for how they want their religion to be. And there is nothing in the Word of God that provides that. God already has a code. God already has governments and conditions all set for spiritual dialogue, all set for the how-to-do-it type of actions that the people of God who are in apostolic response, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, hand-to-God ministry, are to follow and to actuate. And so, blessed be the name of God, here we are. God is saying there is no scripture that is of any private interpretation. I think that's a great problem with a lot of people's ideas about interpreting something. We don't ever want to get into a place where our main concern is private about our own conclusive needs. For God so loved the world. We, we, we need to be in that zone. We need to be in that mentality. We need to be in that state where we are caring, caring about the world and we are aware there is suffering out there and there are terrible kinds of unjust treatments that people are experiencing and we need to be concerned and care about people and be concerned that the, that the transliterations and the translations and the interpretations are the word of God and it's so important to, to, to believe that they are the more sure word of prophecy. The more sure word of how God would speak his love. Because there are different levels of love too. And there is loving someone less and there is loving someone more. And they're all real. But there is a difference. And the Bible says there are differences of administration. Let me paraphrase it. Even though by the same spirit. So there are differences of administration and that is allowed because there are differences of positions in the body. Toe position, head position, arm position, neck position, back position, eye position, ear position, different positions. So there are differences of administration. Each cell is functioning according to its act of replication. And in the revelation and in the work and in the quickenings, the people of God have to nourish those things that have real address to being in the continuity with the fullness of the Spirit of God. 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, this is so important as a capstone for this 
scripture here, this word that Peter has written and spoken. The prophecies in the old time didn't mean it didn't happen in recent times, but the particular ones that are written in the Bible, the Old Testament, those prophecies were given by the will of... uh, They came not in the old time by the will of man. There are a lot of prophecies that are being given today. And I'm telling you, it's prolific. There are a lot of prophecies that are being given as exhortations in preaching. And people without using the word prophecy or without even using the word prediction are actually in a guise of not revealing that they are actually making predictions of how uh, the economy is going to go, how uh, the uh, political races are going to go, how the destruction of some nation or people are, are going to go. And, and they're, they're in their way of preaching, in their way of presentation, through their exhortations, they are making predictions and prophecies. They're just not calling it a prediction or prophecy. Probably because they don't want to be named as being false and having made a mistake later if it should turn out that their ideas go down the drain hole. And so, hear this. Prophecy in the real original did not come by the will of man. Watch out. Be aware. If you are in the rut of preaching every negative thing that comes across the TV, every new thing that you hear that happens in Congress or in uh, government politics and and, uh, every negative thing, you're just hammering away on it constantly. Whoa, beware, because you're getting involved in a kind of exhortation prophecy. Even though you are speaking it in your preaching, you're actually, because you are in an office, an administrative office that is incorporated and is part of all the gifts of the Spirit by that incorporation, you are therefore actually bringing those statements into a prophecy zone a prediction zone. And beware, ladies and gentlemen, that you are not doing that and incorrectly advising people and taking the chance that when they are so disgusted with all the false spiritual, so-called spiritual vice they're getting, they just don't have any unction or inertia to believe in the, in church or in the Bible or in preachers anymore. And you are a great contributor to that. My God, be careful. Don't have that kind of a blood stain on your hands. Be careful. All right. But the holy men of God, they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I think there's something about being moved before you speak something. There's something about not saying, well, there needs to be something happened here tonight. So we need to have something happen with someone to pray for the sick or someone to prophesy. We'll, we'll create the atmosphere. That wasn't how it happened in the original. In the original, people waited upon the Lord like 
on the days of Pentecost when they were in the upper chamber waiting before the Lord as Jesus Christ told them to do, when suddenly there came a sound, a sound, a voice as a mighty rushing wind and filled all the house. Wow, that's a sure word. Filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that's when they spake based on having received a quickening and a message and a revelation as a result of having been moved on by the Holy Ghost. That's what we're talking about here tonight. That's what we're, we're leading you toward tonight. That's what we have the timbras playing in the background. The, 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 the spiritual virtual band uh, all ready to, to play that marching music of the saints. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Okay. There is a very beautiful writing in the Song of the Solomon. <clears throat> and it says, O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the stairs. That is so beautiful. I just love that writ. Of course, a dove is also a messenger bird. And as a messenger name, it could represent the Holy Spirit because when Jesus was with John the Baptist and was as involved in the baptism, a dove of the Holy Spirit lit over him. So, it's a messenger of the Holy Spirit and even a messenger like an angel. Thou art in the cleft of the rock. There's something about the rock that is very meaningful because it represents something that has long-lastingness. It represents something that is monumental. Especially when we think of Oh, Rock of Ages. What a beautiful song. When we think of that, we love that rock. We love that rock that the children of Israel followed in the wilderness. In the secret place of the stairs. What is that? How can there be a secret place in the stairs? On that, on that ascent, as you are going level to level upward, there is a point in that stairway where momentum reaches a gain. And when it reaches a gain at a certain level, you are then pinpointed to the secret place in the stairs. Why is there a secret place in the stairs? Well, the secret place in the stairs is about that place where things that have been secret and mysterious and hidden and sealed and not known are now within your capability by the Holy Spirit 
to reach out and to open that seal and to open that mystery because you have come to the point of the gain of momentum. It is, in fact, a point of reaching a margin of quality. What a beautiful song. I love it. I love it. Now in James 27.1, that's the book just before Peter and right after Hebrews. In James chapter 1, and we'll read verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from God above or is from above. I, I really like that parallel. There are times that something is good, but it's still not perfect. And that goes right along with this revelation about the more sure word of prophecy. You can have a fractal of prophecy, a less sure word of prophecy, and yet it could have benefit. And yet it could have a word in it that would pick up someone's dreary uh, dreariness and help them to be comforted. So, there are things that we receive and they are good gifts. There are also things that we receive and they are perfect gifts. Like the more sure word of prophecy. Every good gift and every perfect gift, they're still both from above. And they come down from the Father of lights, not light, lights. And these lights, of course, are of different magnitudes and of different intensities. And to some one person, they may get the light of a blue star. Another person may get the light of a scarlet star or a purple star. Because these are different levels uh, of revelation, different levels of the opening of the mysteries of God. And that's the day star that's going to rise inside of you, in your heart, in your life, in your mind, in your inner sanctum. And when you reach that kind of a place and you come into the knowledge that these perfect gifts and good things, they come from the Father of Lights, L-I-G-H-T-S, plural. And the Bible says that every star differeth from each other in glory. There are different magnitudes of glory. And every star experience is a different experience. The day star is a special kind of experience that the Bible is talking about that I read to you in, in uh, Peter. And so, as we begin to, to look at these things, they're quite beautiful when we put them together. They're quite wonderful because they're so truthful and they're so comforting. Now, these different lights, you don't just step out and say, well, I, I want to bypass all the different levels. I want the most and the best and I want it right now. You'd be on the wrong trackway. You'd be running out of the wrong gate. 
Jesus would say the same thing to the two disciples that said, well, in the kingdom, Lord, uh, we've decided we'd like to sit next to you on, on your right side. And Jesus said, that's not for me to give. And the Bible says, many people do not receive when they ask because they ask amiss. They miss the proper way to ask. They ask it incorrectly, and as a result, they fail to get what they're asking for and what they're seeking. You don't want to be in that kind of a place. And it says in the 17th verse of the first chapter of James, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no veritableness. Now, that does not mean that there are different degrees of things offered. But it means that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loves you. He loves you. He will always love you. And nothing will ever, ever change His mind. Because He loves you. Oh, He loves you. There isn't anything could ever change his mind. Oh, I'm so stirred up today. I'm just so stirred up. I feel the electricity, the amtricity of the Holy Spirit. God is dealing, God is moving by his Spirit, moving in all the earth. Praise God. And there's no veritableness with God. He's going to be there for you. He's going to be there for you. Dear brother, dear sister, dear little person, still growing up, God loves you. And if you're sick, oh, so sick, and you feel so helpless, and you feel like you can't get out of the despair of your body a health problem, God loves you. God wants to heal you. God wants to set you free. God does care. And he says, and this is beautiful, neither is there a shadow of turning. No shadow of turning. When you turn in a perfect cycle, it will not create a shadow. But when you turn, and you turn with, with unsolved and unresolved issues. They become obstacles that create the shadows of turning. Keep that in mind. That is very, very important. Now, um, let's verify this thing of that scripture we read in Corinthians. Um, in Corinthians, we read uh, how that um, the glass darkly. We shared that with you. Let's um, let's just look at this. Um, I'm just reaching down here for my other Bible. I got so many Bibles, and I love the Bible. I love it. I love the Bible. In the book of First Corinthians. It says in chapter 2, verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, 
because they are spiritually discerned. This teaching that we do about spirit to spirit is the key to overcoming the problems that have kept people under the veil, that have kept people from breaking through to that spirit to spirit relationship with God and with each other. And the Holy Spirit in the 13th verse it is said of it, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, spirit to spirit. That is how God compares things. Because spiritual things cannot be discerned by flesh. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So you have to step ever so often out of your physical complications of mental leanings and you have to find a place in your spirit where you are dealing direct with this quest by the spirit that is within you rather than by the flesh that you wear. And and if you don't do that, then you won't be able to know the spirit things of God. Because to the flesh, the spirit things are foolishness. And because they cannot be known by the flesh, they have to be discerned spiritually. It has to be spirit to spirit. Now, this is quite a very interesting area of the Bible that we are in. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In the in the second chapter, verse 9, it says, As it is written, I have not seen, ear, nor ear heard, neither has or have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for them that love him. This scripture has been so misunderstood, so incorrectly preached. I, from a young person, have heard people say, it's written that we, our eyes cannot see, our ears cannot hear, our heart cannot know the things God has prepared for us. And we will not know those things until the sweet by and by. And that's what, in my childhood time of being in church, I heard ministers preach over and over and over. And, you know, that was a private interpretation, which the Bible says is not acceptable. And that was a a much lesser than a sure word of prophecy, a sure word of exhortation. That was not a sure word of exhortation. That was not a an encouraging word, uh, challenging and drawing uh, people to come up the stairs to the secret place in the stairs. When we read on, when we read on, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says that, Yea, then shall you know, if you follow on to know the Lord, that his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he will come unto you as the former and the latter rain into the earth. You have to follow on to know the Lord. And you can't get into the scripture and pull out uh, out of a chapter or out of a, a, a book or out of the Bible one little 
a word or two or one scripture and make your whole case on that. That is not how the Holy Spirit uh, does. That's why the Peace Manifest Bible that is going to be uh, hopefully published here before too long uh, is going to be so grand and so awesome because it has been nourished by the by the Holy Spirit of God, and and uh, it, it 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 is a a word uh, that is uh, revealing things of the Holy Spirit and quickening things by the Holy Spirit. But here we see, just after it said in verse nine, First Corinthians chapter two verse nine, it is written, "I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man." the things which God has prepared for them that love Him, period. And person say, well, that's it. No sense trying to know those things because it's right there in the Bible, there's a break, a stop. But hey, go on. Go on to ten. Go on to one zero. But God has, God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches, searches all things. Yea, the deep things of God. There are deep things, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, in the, in the, in the shallow level, then it would be correct. I will not see it. Ear will not hear it. The heart of the man will not be able to discern it. And you'll not be able to know the things that God has prepared. That is what is there in the, in, in the shallow, uh, not deep word of God. And people that live in that shallow, not deep word of God, they are in that place that fulfills that verse. Their eye will not see it. Their ears will not hear it. Their heart will not understand it. But if you go into the deep word of God, but, conjunction, God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And get a hold of this, verse 11. We're in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man? You want to know something about yourself? I mean, there's so many people that are, that are in confusion about themselves. There are so many people that do not have confidence in themselves. And they, they are constantly selling themselves short. They are constantly feeling inadequate. And if you want to know something about your person, it says, What man knoweth the things of a man? What man knows, knows things about himself? Save or accept the spirit of man. Your spirit can know about you. And it's your spirit, it says, which saved the spirit of man which is in him. So it's definitely, conclusively, absolutely talking about the spirit that's in your fleshly body, that it knows the things of man. And so this thing about flesh-to-flesh revelation is going to be eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, and hearts that cannot feel. But the spirit-to-spirit revelation opens up to no boundaries, no limits, and all things are passable. Verse 12, 
Well, let's finish this verse 11. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Wow. I love that. That is so beautiful. That is so proper. So absolutely proper. Then there's another uh, scripture that really goes along with that. And it's in Proverbs. Uh, and it's a, a really a super neat. Uh, it's chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. And it says, The spirit of man is the candle. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Ladies and gentlemen, how would you want anything more specific than that? More gorgeous of word than that? This spirit that you have is a tool of God. It's a belonging energy of God. The Bible says in the end, all spirits return to God who, 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 who made them. That's in the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes. All spirits. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the, bell, of the body. That is so beautiful. So absolutely beautiful. Now, this truth goes along with this subject of prophecy, the more sure word of prophecy. This means that there can be prophecies that are not fulfilled. And you notice that there's two words put together to make one, full and filled. And that's very interesting. That there can be prophecies that were given hundreds of years ago. And they were not fulfilled in the time of the prophet. The prophet was long gone. And generations and generations and many, many, many eons later, the prophecy is fulfilled. And we have an example of that in St. Matthew chapter 13. Now, the disciples came to Jesus. And they were asking him in chapter 13 of St. Matthew, verse 10, why that he spoke to them in parables. And in verse 11 he answered and said, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. It's not given to people that are just going to stand around on shallow ground. It's not given to people who are going to be content to never dig deep into the Word of God, who want to live around in the shallows, stay in, in nursery, and keep feeding on milk and tender uh, little uh, bits uh, of the Word. It's not given unto them. This incredible deep Word is given to the people who are going to hunger and thirst after righteousness, who are searching in a way to be filled with the righteousness of God, filled with the truth of God, filled with the revelation of God, filled to know by the knowledge of God what the mysteries are all about. And so, 
Jesus said, was saying, it's given to you. You're hungry. You want to know these things. But these other people don't, so we're, we just tell them these things in parables. And then he goes on, he shows how that this, this is tied into prophecies of the past. And um, let's read in um, verse 13 of chapter 13 of St. Matthew. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they, seeing not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Jesus is saying, why would I do anything but speak a parable to people who do not see what I am saying, cannot hear what I'm saying, cannot understand what I'm saying. The best that I could do for them is give it to them in a parable, which is like a story, that someday, if that level of understanding would rise and change, that they would remember the story easier than they would remember just the teaching. And then in verse 14, here's the bomb. And... In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, just how the transliteration comes out here, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. Now, what this is saying, there has been all kinds of application to that teaching that was a prophecy by Isaiah. But it was never fulfilled in the intent of what that prophecy was given to be about and for his purpose of destiny. And so when the disciples said to Jesus, you know, why do you, or when they inquired of Jesus, why do you, you know, teach these parables to these people and not tell them the whole story like you do us? And he said, because... They're not ready for this. They can't see it. They can't hear it. They can't believe it. And he says, those very people that I am preaching to right now and just telling parables, they are now fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. What? You mean a prophecy that was given generations and generations and generations and generations ago? was not fulfilled, was not finished. It didn't become a more sure word until it could be fulfilled. That's right. That's what Jesus said. He said, just then, it's being fulfilled. Remember one time when he got up and, and he read some scriptures and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled. And that was out of the same book of Isaiah. And he says, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand. By seeing you shall see, and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, least at any time, least at any time, 
They should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart, should be converted, and I should heal them. There are people that don't want to be saved, that don't want to be healed. I've talked to people who tell me that they don't pray to God to heal them because they deserve the things they are suffering. And they consider it punishment that they deserve and are supposed to be, have received. There are people that are blind to the love of God. They are blind to the grace of God. They are blind to the mercy of God. They haven't heard the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They haven't heard those words. Even though they may have looked at them and heard some preacher speak them, they didn't hear them in their heart. And if they ever would hear them in their heart, if they ever would have a breakthrough, if the deep word would ever open to them, then these people that are in this unbelievable shallowness would suddenly be able to receive these deep things and understand them, and they would suddenly be able to be healed. What an unction that we have. What a job we have. What a mission we have to pray for these people that are spiritually blind, that pray for these people that are spiritually deaf, that pray for these people that are hard of heart. We can't just forget about them and just be searching for what takes care of us and satisfies us personally and be pleasured in that. We have to be thinking all along the way that the second greatest commandment after the first commandment of to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Wow. Wow. Now there's another interesting scripture. And I don't just have the exact verse handy, but it'd be easy for you to get your concordance in mind. And this is for a particular specific type of person out there who uh, says they can't help it. Like I was um, many, many, many years ago when I was quite young, I went to a Pentecostal church. I was invited to speak. And um, I got up and I had a, I had a really uh, important teaching. And I began to speak it. And this lady stood up and started speaking in tongues and started screeching and hollering. And, and she was so loud, there was nobody could hear what I had to say. And it went on and on and on. And then pretty soon, I was preaching and a couple fellows started running. And they started running around the pews in a circle. And they were really just, I mean, if any little kid got out there, they would have gotten knocked over, possibly. Now, I tell you, it would be very challenging to try to get any points across in that kind of a service. And perhaps that's why sometimes the pastors would just close their Bible, say, well, the Spirit's taken over this service. Well, I don't know about that. And I'm not putting down those people that are 
like an electric wire that isn't in the socket. Because it's nothing you can plug into. You've got to have an electric wire connected to the socket so you can plug into it to run things and make things work, make things happen. But when the electric wire is just running out there loose and wild, the energy is just tumbling out and coming out of the wire, uh, you're not going to get anything happening except an awareness that you better back away because, you know, you don't want to get electrocuted. I'm not knocking those kind of church services. I'm not knocking those kind of people. But I do believe that the Bible teaches everybody, you know, that there should be decency and order and that that each person, according to the Bible, the prophets and all the different uh, uh, kinds of, of operations of the Spirit have to wait one upon the other. Very clearly part of the administration and the teachings of God. Well, why am I even saying this? Why am I even bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because the point that we want to make is when people say they couldn't help it. The Spirit just took them over. Well, that's not Bible. And that's when people are actually taught these things. I've, I've heard preachers get up and say, you know, these people cannot help it. When the Spirit comes on them, it just takes them over so strongly that they cannot help what they do. They cannot help if they if they are disrupting uh, an orderly service because the Spirit is on them. But you know what? I'm sorry. That's not the sure word of prophecy. That's not the sure word of exhortation. That is not the sure word of exhortation. Because the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That is the sure word. That is the definite word. That is the fact word. That is the real word. The, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So when people say they can't help it, that is not true. That is false. They can help it. Because the Bible says that they can. And I believe the Bible over any other person that says differently. So let's get those things straight. Let's understand that there is a there is a, a rule and there is an order, and, and but we don't want to be deadheads and we don't want to, there to be a quenching of the spirit. But there is a time, you know, when it's when it's time for ministry, then ministry should take place. When another function is time for it, then that function should be given room and allowance, and everything should be done in decency and in order accordingly accordingly okay now I believe there are millions of people preaching about signs and wonders who have never in all their life ever seen or experienced a sign or a wonder I believe there are preachers out there preaching about passions of the Holy Ghost who don't even have the Holy Ghost who have never received the Holy Spirit in the sense of it being in a charismatic way. I'm not knocking those people, except I don't think that they should be preaching like they've got something that they don't have. Now, I remember one time, a lot of years ago, my wife and I were evangelizing, and we were fairly popular and we were speaking in some very large churches, and we were both um, very well accepted musicians. And um, uh, I had been um, 
associate it with some of the top uh, music performers uh, in uh, of Walt Disney of Disneyland, and um, uh, so it wasn't very difficult to get a place to go and and evangelize or minister. And I was at this very very large church. Uh, it was in California. I won't say where. And uh, one day I was talking to the minister, and I and and he noticed that um, I wasn't like the other evangelists. Most of the evangelists like to go out have, you know, special meals and laugh and joke and, you know, are very <clears throat> much to be um, political. But when I was asked, uh, my wife and I, we said, no, we, we want to uh, have time to pray and we want to have time to practice our music and to, and to uh, you know, read the Bible. And, you know, we're here, we're here for the deliverance of people. We just need to put our whole time to that. And, and that wasn't very acceptable. It wasn't really very acceptable. But I was talking to this minister. And I said, I said, uh, uh, so I said, uh, how did you get into the ministry? Uh, this is, uh, so, is this something that you just long to do all your life? And he says, are you kidding? He says, I'm only a minister because my wife told me that she was going to marry a minister, and if I didn't become a minister, she was not going to marry me. And so I became a minister. But he says, I don't even believe most of the things that I get up and preach because I get those sermons from out of books. But he says, you know, it's, it's how I make my living, and it's how I keep my wife happy. And I was shocked. I was young. I was green. I was ignorant that there could possibly be any such cases as that exists. I could hardly believe it. But I'll tell you what is, I went from churches to church, different churches. In time, um, I began to, to see that there was far more of those kind of, of, of persons involved in the church. I remember sharing with uh, some Episcopal priests and Catholic priests and had them just break down and sob when I would tell them some of the manifest truths. And they would say, it's true. I've been looking for these kind of answers. I was asking these questions in seminary, but I could never find anyone that could ever tell me answers to my questions. I'm just stunned. I, I, I'm just, I know it's true what you're saying. But he says, you know, uh, I, I can't change the order of our Catholicism, of our service, of our Episcopalian presentations, because these things are basically all set by various kinds of liturgical uh, articles that are historically presented. And I never said anything. I didn't condemn them. I didn't judge them. I still don't. But just because someone has come to know something is true doesn't believe, mean that they're going to be able to apply it. And so the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And, you know, uh, there's millions of people out there preaching. Millions of people that are getting their sermons from the TV. Getting their sermons from what happens in Congress. From where the various financial markets are. And that is 
so different, so different from some of the things that the Bible says. You know, let, let me let me um, read something for you in in Psalms, and you think about this a little bit. Think about how this applies and what this means. Um, in Psalms twenty-seven. Psalms 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Are you living in fear? Are you afraid of terror? Are you afraid of the financial failure of your of the nation you live in? Or are you afraid of um, various kinds of... Um, Inverse forces taking over your country. It says, verse 2, When the wicked, even mine enemies and foes, came upon me to eat at my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this Will I be confident? Wow. Wow. That's incredible. In Psalms 31, 5, here's what I'm asking you to do tonight. Here's what the Bible's asking you to do. In divine hand, I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord. God of truth. God is asking His people to commit their spirits to Him. That's what God wants you to do. Now, when we talk about the more sure word of prophecy, we have to understand that being that God says that no man can see Him face to face. And even Moses did not see Him face to face. Although the scripture seems to say that. But as you will discover if you get onto the recent blog, the scripture was very specific. And God spoke, Jesus spoke directly, or the Lord spoke directly to Moses and said, You cannot see my face and live. But the reason he did see his face was he saw it through the cloud. He saw it through the hand of God ministry, the Shekinah glory. His face was covered with Shekinah glory. And the face of Moses was covered with a divine aura. So both of them had this aura, this glory, different levels of glory, covering their face. So when they looked at each other face to face, that face to face was a face of, of glorification. And so they never really saw each other beneath that in those particular instances. And so the scripture is not contradictory. It's true. And it's beautiful. But there are people that represented God. And some of these people were pagans. And some of these people were uh, into guerrilla warfare. And had been soldiers. And had been in wars and killed lots of people. And continued to kill people after they became followers of God. And they were representing God based on the level of degree of their depth 
via their spirituality or lack of spirituality, via their uh, depth into the deep of the word, via their spiritual intelligence, their lack of it, or their degree of it. And that still goes on today. That's why you have some not sure words of prophecy out there. Not sure words of ministry. Not sure words, you know, of exhortation. That's going to continue. That's going to go on and on and on. Now, I I want to tell you, I want to speak a little bit about spiritual flourishings, which are something that comes about by the Spirit of God. And I want to read a few things. I see how fast the time is going. I have quite a really important uh, message here, some really important things to share with you. And I don't want to leave you out on that. But before I get into this thing about spirit and some of these very beautiful sayings, I want to tell you that in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, It talks about people as individuals, people as groups, who have a form of godliness. They look like they're church people. They look like they're believers. They look like they're followers of God. They look like they understand what they are reading in the Bible. They even sound like they might understand what they are reading. But it says they have a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof from such keep away. They're probably the most dangerous connection you could ever have. People that act like they have all these things, but in in reality, in actuality, they deny the power of it. People that don't really want to feel the quickening of the Holy Spirit. They want to just be human, but sort of believe in God. People that really don't want to deeply hear the Word of God or or to visually have an epiphany. They just want to maintain their mortal level but be labeled that they are okay, that they are religious, that they are a Christian or a believer or or a religious person. Because they deny the power. And it is so important, so absolutely essential, if we are going to be a believer of God, to get into the the power of the Spirit. To be in the power of, of the revelation. So important. You know, in Mark 13, 22, it talks about false Christ and false prophets that would come. And I know that that's true, and I believe that. But I think that, you know, we've got a lot of these people that are God has represented kind of people, and they are not into the sure word of of prophecy, the sure word of revelation. And they spend the biggest part of their time talking about false Christs and false prophets. They don't ever talk about true uh, people that are truly representing Christ. That people that are truly operating in prophetic and prophecies of God, 
They're so worried about the false Christ and the false prophets that they can't even acknowledge the true ones. And that is sad, and that is shameful. There are ministers that are so concerned about the possibility of war, the possibility of financial collapse, the possibility of some opposite religious party getting in, that they can't think about trusting in God, believing God is able to take care of everything. Why, originally, when the children of Israel were given the word that they were to go over to the land of Canaan, God told Moses, and they were told, I'm going to send the angel before you. I'm going to even use hornets to drive out the people. All you're really going to have to do when the time comes is make the trip and walk in and take over. But you know what? People people would not accept that. They wanted to go in and with their own anger and wrath and and warring spirits, they wanted to go in. And why? Because you had people in there that were full of lust. They wanted to go in and and uh, you know and rape and pillage, or they wanted to go in and rob. And you had that mix, and they for sure did not have the sure word of God. They did not have the sure prophecy of God. They had the unsure message, and you have that today. You have it today, like back in the times of of Jeremiah. There was a a, a well-known prophet called Hananiah. And when the the nations uh, of Israel were getting ready, uh, some of the tribes of Israel, to go to war, uh, they asked their prophets, and they said, yeah, go. You know, you're going to drive them. You're You're going to destroy them. But the prophet Jeremiah said, no. And the prophet Hananiah came over and put a yoke on Jeremiah and he downcast him. And Jeremiah just says, well, we'll see what's going to be true. He said, but understand this. He says, what you're prophesying is there's going to be peace. But he says, that takes a real prophet to prophesy peace. When a prophet prophesies peace, and it actually comes to pass. He said, then you've got, that's a real man of God. And he says, I don't, I don't think that that's who you are. And you know what? Within a very short time, Hananiah died. Those are just extremely interesting things. Extremely, absolutely interesting things. Okay. Let's get back to this spirit to spirit thing. We've got a roll here. Got so much to do, so much to say, so much to cover. Let me read a few of these beautiful things, spirit-to-spirit kind of messages. It can be better understood that I am song. And we're talking about the language of God in song. is a song of resonance that flies to heavens, touching where it will touch, singing what it will sing. The king's voice, the soundtron, is a marvelous voice. 
Its sound reaches all zones, all space, all voids. There is no place Iam's voice is not heard. Instant upon the high places, Iam's syntonic fiery essence burns gloriously white. Raise your voice and proclaim Em's glory, for it was I am God who kissed, breathed the life for the many families of the galaxies. Wow. Wow. Neat stuff. Let me read some more. Got a lot of good stuff here. This is about tremulous vibrations. Barely had I prayed when tremulous vibrations rose in a strain deep and mellow of sound. Tides of love oversurged my spirit. Tides of love oversurged my spirit in the chambers of my innermost aura of being. Conceptions of great rights. Ladies and gentlemen, you have some great rights. Great rights that you have never heard about. You've never read about. You've never been told about. They're on that secret place in the stairs. They're ready to be made visible when when. You're not looking through the glass darkly any longer. Praise the name of God. They're ready to be revealed as thoughts in color, brisk of life, sensations of beauty, stimulating and exciting, dancing gingerly. God wants to give us the power to escape the bound state that millions of people are in. Spiritually bound, mentally bound, Bound in limits of knowledge, bound in limits of faith, bound with incorrect ideas, with brainwashed uh, uh, mental uh, uh, thoughts that that are blind spots. The whole universe is a bound state, a state that is eminently physical and not spiritually eternal. Nevertheless, nevertheless. There are actions which produce energies that can escape the corporal hold of the universes and become spiritually freed through the purgative experiences. God's got a place for you. God's got a way. There's a way. There's a journey. There's a horizon. Within the structures of the universal corporate body, there are many frameworks. You're not limited to just one framework. You know? You know, by faith. The worlds, worlds were framed. There are many frameworks. These frameworks, although bound in the corporal manifold sense of a universal body, take on potential to be freed in a local or individual sense. That is so important. Even though you may live in a country where the population average is bound in a state of non-believing. You can still, as an individual, or in a local sense, be freed. You do not have to be bound because geographically the sense of designation, being what it is, connects you to that limitation. You are only connected to what you want through Jesus Christ to be connected to. You can be free anywhere. Like David, he says that that he had a banquet right in the midst of his enemies. You can be like that too. Subsequently, once you 
have reached this differentiation of understanding and you have developed this concept of being able to have your local and individual part, you can escape the bound state. And you can get close to those sounds of thunder. Here's another reading. Murmuring movement, spangled tingingly, vibrated pettingly. Now you know a part of that which was, and I shall speak to you yet of more of the was. A soft murmuring movement, purling waves of scented invigorations. To the whole being, aromas in the garden of awe, sweeping your senses, relaxing your nervous tension, soothing unresolved mental irritants. Go to the garden of awe. Go to the spiritual place of imagination. Loosen your hope. Loosen your faith. Walk and smell the fragrances. A door will open just like it did to John the Revelator. And a song of ascending sweetness will fill, fill the air. And spiritual songs will be everywhere. Oh, what an intensity for the good. What a sustaining of keenness. What an excite and quickening, a cultivation of refines. What a tingle and a tiltillation. I just love such sweetness of light, such a cup in our palm of hand, of God pouring out the oil of anointing to overflowing, coming down our heads. Wow. Beautiful. It's all about a heightened potential. Taking us up to that ascension, to that trans-flowing, to that transcendental moment where we can find the city of God and spend timelessness in that abode of bliss and experience powerful transformations that will begin to place in you a new way of thinking and a new mind. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the more sure word, a prophecy. You don't hear these things in your church. You don't hear these things by your minister. What's going on? The Bible says, laying aside the principles of the foundations <clears throat> of the doctrines. Let us go on to perfection. There's a more sure word of prophecy, and God wants you to have it. You know, God wants you to perfect your love for the Lord and perfect your love for your neighbor. Love is, the, is a decision that develops from knowing or believing that you know. <clears throat> love is an energy with capabilities to contour. Perfecting love can keep taking you higher and higher in higher stages. It is the closest related energy to aura soul. 
because perfect love is the energy of the orisol. It is the full, the fill of blossoms of love. It is the power of the knitting of oneship. It is the power of the joys of communion. It is the power of the reaching out of compassion. It is the magnification of the splendor of love as a connector, as a key that can open all shut doors. It is the real of the all. It is the energy that is the great power, the greatest power that exists and that ever will exist. Praise God. Praise the name of God. I hope that these are exciting moments for you. I hope that you enter into a determined innocence. There is innocence and ignorance, but they're not the same. Innocence has been colored as meaning childlike, but that is only conditional innocence. An innocence that exists because of non-indulgence due to age. But the greatest of innocence is determined innocence. An innocence ordered by choice and restraint. Even an, individ even an individual that is tainted can become innocent. That is what purification is. That is the act of making one innocent again. This is the power of the more sure word of, of prophecy, of the more sure word of, of exhortation. It's the very matrix of creative advance. It's the outreach of a spiritual consciousness. It's the beginning of an achievement that is beyond what Main Street is going to find unless it comes through the Spirit of God. There are glorious consequences for all the people who will open their minds to the streams of these holy adventures, to the caring about a whole world that may perish or live due to our response and actions. These glorious consequences can be made fresh and renewed in you. Each start, each new day, each period of time. And they can give you vitality. And they can make your countenance always have a loveliness to it. And your expressions to be mainly sweet. And cause your spirit to soar in new scopes of transcending goodness and cause you to touch with the reach you stretch to and be multiplied with one eternal significance after another. And for songs to fill your spirits with such gladness that they command your feet with joy to become exceedingly abounding. What divine radiance! What an influence of quickening! What a projective aspect that can arouse you, that can be a substance of faith that builds the very frames of worlds. What a beautiful, beautiful way to think. What a spirit to spirit. A spirit to spirit that will breathe the breath of spirit angel in your presence. That will Take a candle fire of light and walk with it in your spirit, showing you 
all the things about you that belong to your ancient past. And showing showing you how to love like no mortal can love. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the kind of things, these are the kind of things I'm talking about now, that are the sure word of prophecy, the sure word of exhortation. They are the desire, they are the perfect will desire of God. And they belong to the holy manifest touch. They are holy moments when you can ex- experience holy fusions. Holy fusions that will put you into moments of incorporated spiritual charge so that you will be able to reach out and with that charge be able to bring healing to people and deliverance to people and give you the power to cast out genies and cast out demons and the power to change lattices of humans who are bound in depression and misdemeanors. It is the moment of a forever and more it is a superb, superb journey of the mind where you can trek to reaches sublime and, and even though your human body sometimes will hardly be able to catch up, you will be flowing in great knowledge of the Lord and you will wear that knowledge as a robe. And the great wisdom of the Lord will coat the roof of your mouth with seams of gold. And you will go forth to dance upon the mind thoughts of the wandering royals. Your robe, becoming wings, will carry you as a living scroll into their hearts. Your mouth, with gold, becoming light, will shine as a destinata, a pathway on the earth toward the heaven of heavens for those who are lost. It's a journey, unscrolling faster than lightning scampering upon the energy dots of the ancients, laughing until bellows pump holy melismas into the eye beams of every seer who, who peers with that faraway look. For it is a moment that you do not want to ever vanish, that you want to appear in every expression. It is an upbeat of the most glorious song ever sung. It's the arms of ten thousand angels reaching out for you to come to be hugged and cuddled. It is the the holy kiss. It's full of the transmission fluence of the Holy Ghost virtue. It's the warmth of the glory of God. It's the love that rises and rises in happiness and felicity. From now to then, from the Alpha to the Omega, to the ongoings of the glory of God. Wow. I'm going to have to close this down here and finish some things. I see I'm running out of time, but I can't yet because I'm not finished with my message. i got to finish a few more things. I'll make it as fast as I can. I hope you're still there. I hope you're listening. Because these are so important. So important. It's interesting in Revelations 19.10. 
that it says the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Hey, when we're talking about the more sure word of prophecy, we're talking about the testimony of Jesus Christ. If all the things were written that should be written, not even the world would be able to contain it. If all the things were prophesied that should be prophesied, not even the world would be able to contain it. The light of God shone in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. Because they were the eyes that were blind, the ears that were deaf. But there's a change coming. God is getting ready to do some beautiful things. I hear people say, oh, we're going to be so great. We're going to judge angels. Really? You know what that advice is? The way I've heard it given? It's the unsure word of prophecy. You're not going to be judging the angels that are Gabriel and and Michael and the angels that are doing all these works like the cherubims and the seraphims and, and the dignitary angels that are doing the works of God. It's talking about the angels of the devil. That's who you're going to judge. You're not going to be judging the good angels because you might think by the teachings you received that you're so superior to them. That is just a bunch of low-level teaching that belongs to, in most cases, air. And you need to know that is not a part of the sure word of prophecy. Never has been and never will be. And did you know then 1 Timothy 4.14, 1 Timothy 4.14, it talks about that you can receive gifts of prophecy by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. There's availability for this power to prophesy. There's availability for this power to be able to go forward and to be able to work your way into this more sure word of prophecy. Did you know that in Romans 12, 6, and this is incredible, this is incredible, this really goes along with this more sure word of prophecy. In Romans 12, 6, it says, prophesy according to your faith. Oh, you mean that I should not prophesy if, it, if I don't have the faith? That's what it says. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. What level are you on? Don't try to prophesy in, a, prophesy in a level that you are not on. Don't try to prophesy in a realm of faith that you do not have. That's what's bringing a lot of, of, lot of, um, uh, of disconcerting things to the church and disconcerting things about the, the Bible and the Word of God and confusing a lot of people about about even believing in God. Wow. And sometimes, like in Daniel 9.24, where God spoke to Daniel and said, okay, it's time to seal up the vision and the prophecy. Sometimes there are moments in your life that it's time to seal up the, the actions that you've got going. Sometimes you've got to know when to Close your mouth and just let the Spirit work on people and not just be hammering people and just and just jamming on them. Sometimes you've got to let the Spirit do the work. And sometimes, as in Daniel 9.24, you've got to seal up your vision and, and, and you've, you've got to, to hold your prophecy. I'm telling you, the Bible's going to be full of people that prophesied. The Bible talks about the day in Matthew 7.22 when people will come before the kingdom. And Jesus says, say, go away. I, I, I don't know who you are. I never, I never heard of you. 
Go away. And they said, well, Lord, we've prophesied in your name. We're prophets. And he says, no, you never prophesied in my name. You never prophesied with a sure word of prophecy. You prophesied confusion. Those were your own human-made words. Wow. Wow. Interesting in, the, in Revelations 22.19, at the basic close of the book of Revelations, at the basic close of the book of Revelations, it says, 22.19, the words of the book of this prophecy. This whole book of Revelation is considered a book of prophecy. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, it says, Do not despise prophesying. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, I've got one more really important thing in my closing of this message that I want to, to bring you. Um, and most of it is in Ezekiel. So, we're going to, um, we're going to go to Ezekiel. But first, before we get to chapter 1 and chapter 10, um, probably chapter 10, Ezekiel 37, 7 says, I prophesied and there was a noise. A lot of times when people are using <clears throat> the gifts of God and they pray for healing or they pray for uh, uh, a special event to happen of comfort for someone or deliverance for someone. What they hear, what they experience at first, instead of it being the action of result, is they get a noise. A noise that they cannot interpret, that they don't know what it's saying. And it can be very discouraging. And that's what first happened to Ezekiel when God spoke to him and says, See this valley of bones? He says, If you can believe... He says, you can go out there, you can prophesy, and these bones will come alive again. And I, I think Ezekiel groaned at that. That was hard for him. That was a more sure word of prophecy. That was a direct word from God. That's like a word from heaven. And so he prophesied, and when he prophesied, the first thing that happens, he heard a noise. Something he didn't know what it was. Something that he didn't understand. Something that confused him. But you know, he did not give up. He stood there. And he waited upon the Lord. And the Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. That's what you've got to do. You've got to wait on the Lord and renew your strength. Because then you're going to mount up with wings as eagles. And as he waited, suddenly he began to recognize what the noise was. The noise was the rattling and the shaking of the bones. And the bones were rattling and shaking. They were coming together. And sinew was coming on the bones. And flesh was coming on the bones. And I'm sure it wasn't too long before I began to hear human voices. The noise turned into a revival of life. Don't give up. Okay, last part of this teaching of the sure word of prophecy. I'm going to bring that from the 10th chapter of Ezekiel. Now it's very, very interesting that in this book of, of Ezekiel, chapter 1, chapter 10 especially, there are two words from the Hebrew 
that is used to describe the wheel. One of the words words is Gilgal, G-I-L-G-A-L. And the other word is Ophan or Ophanim, O-P-H-A-N. And both of those two different words, when they are transliterated into the English, although they are, are two distinctly pronounced different kinds of words, two distinctly spelled different kinds of words, when they are translated or transliterated into English, they become a word in English that looks as though it's just the same, exactly the same. Gelgal says wheels or wheel. Ophan or Ophanim says wheel or wheels. It says the same thing. Now, one of those is like a more sure word of prophecy, and the other is like an unsure word of prophecy. And so, amidst these wheels that were the the works of the cherubim with the proxy of the Ophanim, there were these fiery places and coals, places that had a lot of consternation, a lot of things that had to be worked out, that had to be pulled out from, that were being guardian by the cherubims. They had to be pulled out and, and spread around. Like in chapter 10, verse 6, And it came to pass when he commanded that the man clothed with linen, saying, Take fire from between the wheels, from between the cherubims. And he went in and stood beside the wheels. Anyway, he takes that fire and he is instructed to go out and scatter it over the city. Well, the word for wheels there is Gelgal. Because this is a totally different meaning of the word of the word wheel than what we would understand it in the English if we just read it as wheel. Because wheel is a wheel. But this is a Gelgal. And by the same token, when you go over and you read that a few verses over, in verse 13 of the 10th chapter, and this is a real important one. As for the wheels, it was cried unto them in my hearing, O wheel. Now get a hang of this. As for the wheels, it was cried unto them in my hearing. As for the ophanim, that's, that's the, that's the Hebrew word for the first wheels there. And you can look it up yourself. As for the openings, it was cried unto them, personified people, persons, in my hearing, O wheel. But that O wheel is Gelgal. So now, we got the Gelgal representing the physical, representing the mortal body. And the word is speaking and saying, O openings, oh, You've got something to deal with, and it's your Gelgal. You've got to deal with your Gelgal. That's your mortal body. That's this density of matter that you live in. Oh, wheel. You've got a tough deal there. That's the subduction zone. <coughs> now, it's interesting. When Saul was anointed by, by Samuel to become king over Israel, after some years went by, God directed him through Samuel to go out and to defeat the the um, Amalekites. 
And he went out and he defeated them. But he was given some other instructions too. They were to make a total destruction and they were not to save anybody alive. But although they killed all the people, they saved alive Agag the king. And although they killed most of the scrawny looking cattle and sheep, they kept alive the best looking cattle and sheep. And when they came back and Samuel heard the bleeding of the sheep and the the mooing of the cows, he said, what is going on? What have you done, Saul? He says, well, I've done a wonderful thing. I've, I've got a more sure word of prophecy. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. It's a brainstorm. We decided, instead of killing and slaughtering their sheep and slaughtering their, their cows and oxen, said we decided to keep the best ones alive and use those animals for the offerings that we're to give to God instead of having to use our personal sheep and our personal uh, cows. And that way everybody benefits. And Samuel said, that is not, I'm, I'm putting it in words here though, that is not a more sure word of prophecy. That is a less word of prophecy. Because God told you to destroy everything and you didn't do it. And now I'm removing the anointing of your kingship. And that day, his anointing was taken away from him. And that was the beginning of Samuel going out and anointing. Now, let me tell you, and this is the really interesting thing. Because Saul's plan was to take these sheep and these oxen that he had kept alive for sacrifice... And he had planned to take them and sacrifice them at a town by the name of Gilgal. He was going to take them to Gilgal, not to Ophan, but to Gilgal. And the whole meaning of that was just all the way through and through. All the way through and through. It was not a sure word of prophecy. It was not. Okay. That's the end of my message. Sure word of prophecy. I want to remind you to get on to the blog. That's one of the longest blogs that I've written. And it is absolutely a sensational thing. There's going to probably be three parts to it. You don't want to miss it. Now we're going to do some Gentile here. And I want to deal with a sort of a follow-up from last week where we were dealing with the feminine aspect of, of uh, ladies who... Uh, perhaps we're not having regular uh, menstrual periods and we're having excessive bleeding and as a result of that uh, we're made to feel very weak um, and we know from uh, the results that we've had uh, uh, written to us and told us that God did some wondrous things for people with that last uh, Gentile uh, service. Today we want to finish that up. We want to to send signals into the body. Now, to bring uh, the, the, the final healing of, of that menstrual condition. Uh, any kinds of growth there to be totally um, eradicated. Uh, the bleeding now to, to, uh, to, to uh, lessen down to just a natural uh, rhythm pattern uh, that is uh, natural uh, to the nature uh, and in proper 
uh, rhythmic uh, patterns. Here we go. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to thyroid, to the gray matter in the spinal cord, to the medulla, to the pyramidal cells, the small ones and the large ones, begin to excite the hormones to be released in these. Begin to move through the palms and through the various hemispheres of the brain. Begin to release serotonin. Begin to release these in the proper portions and in the proper places to stimulate a revitalization and to remove any blocking hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary hypothalamus to thyroid to the lymphatic gland to the thyroid to the pituitary the hypothalamus to the messenger service of the hormones begin to pour out these messages now through the body to strengthen the body to strengthen the nerves to heal the body to resolve this issue and to give it the total healing so be it in the name of the Lord God bless you we love you we love you good night watching you broadcast